Hello, I'm Tim Bousquet, and this is Examiner Radio. Examiner Radio is the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. Coming up... These days, you want stadium sponsorship, you want in-house sponsorship, you want uh, community outreach and things like that. That's Moshe Lander. He's an economist at Concordia University who studies the economics of professional sports. I wanted to talk to him about all this CFL nonsense about bringing a team to, to Halifax. First, though, let's get going with Examiner Radio episode number 139. 139. Tara producer. Hi. Hi. How you been? Good. Pretty good. Busy. Busy. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I know. It's like you uh, have been a void. Yeah, I had to abruptly leave town last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I, I caught the show, you and Maggie. Yeah. Great job. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for Maggie, too. Thank you. Yeah, it's always nice to have Maggie on the show. She's uh, so exuberant. I, it makes me want to kind of stay home more often and let let you two take over. Well, um, I don't know. Can you have a Tim Bousquet Examiner Radio show without Tim Bousquet? Well, I, I think of it as an Examiner Radio show. and I'm just the host sometimes. but Yeah, and you know, you weren't really away last weekend. Because you did have your interview with Graham Steele. So. Yeah, we recorded, pre-recorded that. So That's true. So yeah. it's like you're never away. <laughs> uh, this show is produced by the Halifax Examiner. That means that the Examiner pays the bills for the show. And that means we wouldn't have this show, or the Examiner for that matter, without your support. So please subscribe online at halifaxexaminer.ca. Before we hear from Motion Lander, let's do the week in review. Yep. What do you have? Convention Center. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I saw the announcement come out this week, and I immediately thought of you. Yeah. That's kind of sad. Opens December 15th. Uh, that's right. Although it sounds like the public won't be able to tour the building until January. Oh. But it is a sort of an official opening. So we'll be rich by February? Well, the people, you know, who are running this, Events East, they say that this is going to be a big thing for the city. Of course they What else would they say? Yeah, we just spent $300 million on this piece of junk and nobody's going to come and we wasted your money. No, they're not going to say that. Of course. So, again, we're talking about the Canadian Junior Weightlifting Championships. They'll be the first. That's the first group that is going to be uh, there at the center uh, in January. Junior, how old are they? I'm not sure. Probably not old enough to fill at the bars. No, but maybe they have parents. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Wow, you're just going to hammer away at everything that I put forward. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let me just deliver a few more facts and then sure. you can chip away. Sure, um, The other uh, things lined up, Brides 2018. Ooh, we like Brides. The Halifax Business Awards, the National Franchise Show. Yeah. Um, there, there was... Uh, there has been no doubt in my mind that the new convention center, especially first year or two, would have a big bump in the number of conventions coming as compared to previous years in, in the old convention center. Um, there's always a honeymoon uh, period with these things because 
organizations are excited about a shiny new thing and uh honeymoon was not a pun on the pride on the bride thing but but um what the heck? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, where the question really comes in for me is after year four. Um, if you, I, I extensively went through all the supposed delegate counts and projections for this thing, and the responsible ones, um, and that's a, a moving target itself. But the responsible ones acknowledged that there would be a, a two to four year. Uh, increase in conventions, and then it would level off at some number below the four-year hmm. n- number. Um, but what the people at Trade Center Limited did said, oh, that one- to four-year trend will continue for 25 years, uh, and we'll see ever-increasing number of conventions and delegates, and um, uh, that will uh, bring us – that will pay for this thing. And I, I just think that was irresponsible. The other thing to note, and, and – Listeners who are kind of watching this play out, um, pay attention to if these are delegates from away or local delegates. So when the Blue Nose Marathon has a big event at uh, the new convention center, it's no new money. It's just people here in the – I mean a handful of people from elsewhere, but it's, it's people here in the community spending their money here, and they would have spent it anyway. Uh, I talked with mm-hmm. uh, Motion Lander a, a bit about that in our interview that's coming up. But um, um, it's not fair to sell the new convention center on local organizations having events there. It's just not. Yeah. The Vincey's uh, uh, made a point of including in their news release that, look, 44 of these events are national and yeah. international. So so they're, they're clearly aware yeah. of that. I, I wish they would be more transparent and uh, say up front who they are and how many delegates uh, are expected and how many delegates actually come. Um, and, you know, that would go a long way to building some trust, but they don't seem to want to do that. Hmm. So you will be doing the walkthrough in January? Uh, assuming when I'm, it's open for the public, sh- sure, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, again, the the convention center is is just one component of the larger Nova Center project. Um, I have no reason to doubt that the convention center w- will won't be run pub, uh, you know, uh, professionally and and as as well as it can be. Um, um, that's that really isn't my worry. I, I'm sure it's going to look great. I'm sure people who come here are going going to love it. It's it's the long term economics of of the project that I've always been um, pointing out, and then of mm-hmm. course the long term economics of the larger Nova Center. So uh, the thing is supposed to be paid for with increased property taxes from the Nova Center itself and from surrounding properties. And there's not even a, a hotel operator yet, so that's not going to generate much in the way of property taxes. Um, right, and we're still not. Uh, there's still no word on when the hotel will open. Well, I think right. Right. I, I interviewed a uh, the uh, economist about hotels a while back, and he told me that. Um, you would want to announce something like this at least a year before it opens. So, um, so expect it at least a year away. Um, that's that's so you can do joint marketing and, and uh, telling potential conventioners all about it and so forth. Um, and we haven't achieved that yet. Uh, there will be a hotel there eventually. Uh, I have no doubt about that. But uh, 
uh, it ain't going well now. And I don't know, I know of about two tenants in uh, the office tower, BMO being one of them, they financed the deal. So I'm guessing they got cheap or non-existent rent in it. And um, there's a, a architectural firms in it, but for the for the most part, the rest of the building is empty. Hmm. It's uh it's interesting to talk about this now. This is coming, especially with the discussions about whether we'll see a, a CFL franchise in the city, even around Amazon headquarters coming here, because it all comes down to what I see as a as a larger discussion about the kind of city you want, the kind of city you need, and the kind of city that you're going to get. Yeah. Right? I've always maintained that uh, take care of the people that live here first, and then maybe people and companies will see that it's a great city and want to come here. Uh, you don't do it the other way around. You don't say, we'll become a great city by get it, by giving the store away to whoever wants to come. Uh yeah, so Halifax Explosion, speaking of the city ah, that you're going to become. See, segue there. Uh, yeah, we're coming up on the 100th anniversary. On December 6th. On December 6th. And it's, uh, it's been interesting to read about all the stories that are, that are uh, the news stories, right? Uh, celebrations coming up, uh, artifacts, this and that. And, and uh, uh, CBC, uh, Sherry Borden-Colley had a piece about, um, let's remember the racism. Yeah. Right, not everything was uh, heroes coming in saving the day, and everyone benefiting from the that generosity. Well, you know, it always strikes me as this was a horrific event. I mean, let's just stop and think about that for a bit. A bunch of people died. I mean, a kind mm-hmm. of unimaginable number of people died. Could you imagine today? Yep. Uh, uh, well, about 2,000. Yeah, 2,000 people dying instantly on the streets of Halifax today would be traumatic for us, you know? I mean, it would it would it'd be comparatively worse than 9-11, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for New York. Um and it, plus all the other injuries yep. and so forth. All the other injuries, losing your homes in one fell swoop. Yeah. And we don't talk a whole lot about the pain that's associated with that. And neither do we talk about um, that this was a product of war. And I, I personally had wished all the, all the commemoration and talk of the centennial really focused more on the fact that uh, – this was, although not inevitable, it was a natural pro- uh, byproduct of a horrific, nonsensical war going on in Europe. You know, all wars are stupid, but this particular war was the stupidest of the stupid. And millions of people died needlessly and stupidly uh, for no no reason whatsoever. Um, and 2,000 people died in Halifax also as a result of that. And I would have liked to have seen more of a, um, I don't want to answer you, war sentiment expressed in these commemorations. Hmm. The other thing. Uh, we might, I mean, let me just stop you right there. We might remember there's still a few more days to go. And, and there, are, uh, there are events happening every day until December Six. Yeah. And we'll, I think we'll, we'll, we were going to be hearing different perspectives, for sure. I, I should say, I've been sitting on this story for about two years. Uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, 
and and I got involved in some research um, related to the mass graves after the explosion. And uh, there's a story there that hasn't really been told. And I have like this gigantic uh, uh, packet from a Freedom of Information uh, request I filed. And I don't know that I have time to process it by uh, the anniversary, and but maybe I will, and maybe I'll write something before then. But I don't, you know, uh, the actual date of the anniversary doesn't um, particularly drive me, you know. So uh, we'll see. I don't know, but there's an interesting story that's yet to be told. Well, get on that. Yeah, I, I, I've been busy. Yeah, uh, let's <laughs> take a break. When we come back, we'll hear from Moshe Lander. You're listening to Examiner Radio. I'm joined on the phone by Moshe Lander, who is a professor of economics at Concordia University who specializes in the economics of professional sport. Hello. Hello. Thank you for making time with us today. My pleasure. We called you because uh, you have been quoted in some Canadian press articles and elsewhere talking about Halifax's bid to... um, consider being the next franchise for the CFL. And I you know, I'm my first question to you is is football still a thing? I'm sorry, is football still <laughs> is football still a thing? I mean do people I, I, I mean it is. It is in Canada. Um I mean for sure it is in the US but on a different level. But I, I think that you've seen maybe the, the Canadian football league more stable than it's ever been. If there if there is a, a model that's going to propel it forward, uh, they seem to have hit it now, uh, not with the American expansion that they tried uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, not with the on-again, off-again Ottawa Rough Riders or the even sometimes Montreal Alouettes. There, there does seem to be a bit of a stability now to the league that hasn't existed for some time. Yeah. I um. I- you know, I, I don't know about you know all these corn-fed kids out out west, but here in Halifax, I don't really know any kids at all who play football. Uh, I think there's somewhat of a, a fan element, but it doesn't have the excitement it seems to have when I travel out into the prairies and and so forth. Is that just uh, my skewed perception, or, or are there people here in Halifax who are really going to get behind a, a football team to the degree necessary to make it successful? I think it needs to build over time. I think you maybe need to give it uh, you know, a generation or so to kind of build itself up. Uh, I, I grew up in uh, London, Ontario, and went to Western. And I certainly recall, uh, you know, in the uh, university semifinals that you'd always hear about Acadia University. So, I mean, that's not Halifax, but it's close enough that there's obviously somebody who's playing football out east that you could develop a fan base. And the fact that it's a professional sport that could be played outdoors primarily in the summertime, certainly into the, into the fall, uh, you can probably generate uh, a fan base to start with and to grow from. Yeah. It rains a lot here. Is that, is that an issue? Not if you like real football. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, to me, I, I love football in the slop, in the, in the mud, uh, in the snow, watching kind of the, the NFL uh, from California where it's, you know, 25 degrees and sunny in, in November, it, it doesn't look as exciting as when you see 
um, snow falling in the in the field and uh, players having to try and fight through the elements. It just makes it all the more interesting. Yeah. Um, that aside, what what would it take for a team to to be a reality here in Halifax? I think that if you're going to make it a reality, you have to have maybe a few preconditions, and I think a lot of them are there. There is one condition that is not met, and, and that's really what's going to hinge on. But the first thing that, of course, you want is you want a stable ownership group. You don't want that they're here today and gone tomorrow. The the CFL doesn't want it, and for sure Halifax doesn't want it. They've experienced that with the schooners that came and never went or never came and were, were gone before the, the, it started. Yeah. Um, so in that case, that's checkmark number one. Checkmark two is that the ownership group should hopefully be representative of the region, and I think you have that too. You don't want an ownership group that's based out in the Prairie Provinces that just thought that this would be some fun investment to make, but they, they have no ties to Halifax or to the greater Atlantic Canadian area. And that is there with this proposed ownership group. Well, the, one, think, one of the people is from Arizona, right? Um. He, he does, but you also have uh, others with deeper ties to Atlantic Canada. So it's not that every owner has to be Atlantic Canadian, but you certainly want that there is an Atlantic Canadian-based, Halifax-based uh, ownership group. I think you have that. Uh, the third thing that you would want is the uh, potential for sponsorship. So these days, you want stadium sponsorship, you want in-house sponsorship, you want... Uh, community outreach and things like that. So the owner groups seem to have themselves links to Atlantic Canada, and Atlantic Canada is very different than it was 35 years ago, where you have uh, more uh, national and international firms based in Halifax that could probably put up some of the money to help uh, promote the team and promote the franchise. So it's certainly there. You had mentioned Sobeys. I did mention Sobeys. Sobeys, to me, uh, someone who's not in Atlantic Canada on a, on a regular basis, was the first thing that came to mind was how great would it be if you can get Sobeys as a corporate partner as a main sponsor, especially given that they have a national presence. It's not just some local company uh, that has a presence in Atlantic Canada. They're laying off people left and right right now. They are, but that's for the purpose of making themselves sustainable, you know, so that's that's not going to necessarily impede their ability to be a, a sponsor, maybe not the title sponsor. Atlas Vans would certainly uh, make a, make sense as well, but there are there are uh, major players now. Uh, Scotia Bank, of course, would be another one that would make immense sense to try and link up uh, beyond just kind of national uh, sponsorship itself. So that that condition is there. It's maybe not as strong as it is in a place like Toronto, but it, it's certainly going to be stronger than, say, in Regina. Before we leave that subject, can you just tell me what uh, sponsorship looks like? What, is that? Are they just splashing their name on a stadium, or, or, or is there more to it than, than that? I think it's whatever way that the ownership group wants to tie the sponsorship deal. So inevitably, it's not just that they're, they're giving as a charitable cause. Uh, there, there's going to be some expectation of, say, in-house advertising or some sort of promotional rights or uh, corporate box sponsorship. So even if it's not large-scale companies, within the uh, stadium itself, you might have corporate sponsors that want their name prominently displayed. Uh, you want uh, you know player of the game brought to you by. So it, it could be something as, as simple or trivial as that, but 
enough that it, it ties dollars to it. Uh, in exchange, you know, you might have player appearances at local stores or local businesses or uh, some form where there's kind of a, a quid pro quo then. Yeah, that uh, uh, <laughs> offends my, my old socialist uh, background, but we'll we'll leave that aside. Um, the, the other big thing, of course, is the lack of a stadium. And that's and that was the the hitch. So I, I said that there were a bunch of conditions that needed to be met. Uh, I, I should also mention that the the other condition that should be met is a television deal, and that is much stronger now than it has been for years. Uh, between TSN, CBC, CTV, uh, the French Canadian channels, uh, and then uh, the Sportsnet, the, the, the proliferation of channels that are operating 24 hours a day that need to come up with programming and ideally live programming so that you can get maximum exposure in terms of the advertisers that pay for the, the advertising space during the game, uh, that's there now with CFL, and it hasn't been in the past. So that sort of medium-to-long-term partnership with a television deal makes it so much easier than, without it, where are you going to watch the uh, Halifax games on on public East Link? Yeah. It, it's not going to work like that. Right. So uh, you're right. The, the, the hitch in the story is the stadium deal. How big of a stadium? Really, it's as big as Halifax feels that it can support. The the current trend, say, in the last decade, uh, there's been new uh, football stadiums built in Toronto, Winnipeg, Hamilton, uh, and Regina. They're, they're all about twenty five to 35,000 seats. They're, they're not the old-style uh, BC Place or Commonwealth Stadium out in Vancouver and Edmonton where you have 55,000 seats. Uh, so you don't have to big build something uh, horrifically huge. 25 to 35 is... is very reasonable, and that's that's not uh, impossible to fill when you factor in the the population of kind of greater Halifax. I would kind of argue with you there. I, I um, you know, we couldn't sell twenty five thousand tickets to see Paul McCartney on a sunny day. Um, I, you know, I, I I just don't see thirty thousand people showing up for anything in Halifax. Um, but but you think that's that's a doable thing. It's doable. It has to, like I said, you, you, you might have to, to sit on it for, for 15 to 20 years. You know, you have to build up kind of a local fan base, and there might be some initial frustration and it has to uh, be grown, and you want to try and tie it then to the the, the dynamics of the local marketplace. There, there is football that's being played in Halifax. I've, I've certainly seen as part of the, the press junket that I've been doing yeah. through Halifax, uh, locals that are coaching youth football teams. So reaching out to those groups and trying to get them into the game, even if it's initially to just draw them in, uh, is a way to kind of build it. I, I agree that you might not start off with twenty five, thirty thousand 30,000 fans, or you might start off and then it'll tail off quickly. Part of it's just going to depend on what's the quality on, on the field. If, it, if it's a garbage product on the field, uh, I agree, you're never going to fill 25,000 yeah, yeah, feet. But yeah. if it's a good product, People will come. We have a history here in Halifax, going back to the the failed Commonwealth Games bid, of uh, a lot of public money going into planning stadiums. Uh, that one was to be a, 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 if I remember correctly, a thirty five seat 
a 35,000 seat stadium. We spent uh, almost $3 million on planning for that. Uh, and it went nowhere. Then in the same location, we've spent another couple million on two other stadium, uh, studies. And, um, those haven't gone anywhere either, but I see a stadium of the size you're talking about, $30,000, a 30,000 seater being upwards of a hundred million dollars. Is that, is that about right? I mean, it depends on what bells and whistles you want to put into it, but that's that's not an impossible number. Yeah. Um, you, like me, I think, are opposed to public financing of that. Completely. It, it generally doesn't deliver the, the state's benefits, so uh, it, it ends up being the waste of the, the taxpayer money. And like you said, in terms of uh, all of the initial costs, too, as part of forming exploratory bids and all of that stuff, that money, too, just becomes a drain on, on public funds. Yeah, even a, a entirely privately financed stadium, I mean, gosh, $100 million is a lot of money to privately finance, but even, even that uh, is going to have a huge public uh, expense component in terms of roads and infrastructure and, and drainage and all the stuff you need to access the site, right? Sure. Uh you know, the idea is if, if you choose the location well, then there's a good chance that that infrastructure that has to be built would have had to be built anyway. And that's usually where my position comes out on uh, these stadiums, is that ideally what you want to do is you want to try and find a location where there's already some degree of uh, building going on. So there's already some community regeneration, there's already some advancement and then the stadium is just dropped into it as part of it. What you don't want to do is pick a place and say, here's where we're going to put the stadium, and then we'll wait to see all of the restaurants, bars, uh, housing, and stuff that builds up around it. That that will almost never work out the way it's planned. There's a big plan, I don't know if you're familiar, to rebuild the, the abandoned military base at Shannon Park here, uh, which is on the harbor front, and there's talk, you know, some pretty... Um, fairly worked out designs for a new neighborhood and, and streets and so forth. Um, is that the sort of thing you're talking about? It is and it isn't. Uh, Shannon Park, if I remember Halifax well, is it's on the Dartmouth side. Yes. Um, so that, that poses itself a bit of a problem because you want to, in modern stadium design, you want to try and put it at where the action is. So it's not necessarily put it right in the middle of downtown or, you know, dump it on top of the Citadel and uh, do it that way. But, uh, you know, the, the, the stadium model of the 1960s, 1970s was exactly that. You would put it kind of on the outskirts of town or accessing a major highway and everybody would just flow to it. Uh, these days, you want to put it where people are because... Um, Otherwise, you're going to create a scenario that you kind of identified earlier, which is you're not going to get Halifax citizens to want to go all the way out there. They're either going to have to take a ferry, they're going to have to go over the bridge, uh, if the bridge isn't already under construction, uh, and then they're going to have to find parking. And you're creating a, a, we only go there for as long as we have to, and then we leave. If it's part of an area where you already have people existing and living, then it's a very easy decision to just, we'll go to the game and we'll hang around after because that's where we hang around anyway. 
yeah, maybe we could tear down the Nova Center and build a stadium. Uh, <laughs> or they're, they're at uh, Cogswell, perhaps. But uh, uh, I don't know where the site would be that you're talking about. But uh, do, I am skeptical of this because – well, let me ask you about this. Um, whenever these sorts of things get dropped on us, uh, whether it's Commonwealth Games or New Convention Center or any, any of these sort of projects um, – all these economic impact statements are trotted out, always by proponents, and uh, um, I guess we're not allowed to question them, but I I don't put much faith in any of them um, because they don't look at uh, how the expenditure of public money uh, if spent somewhere else would compare, right? Or um, So what are your thoughts on economic impact statements that we will invariably see? I agree with you. There's there's a good amount of healthy skepticism that is perfectly legitimate and reasonable to have. The the uh, statements are usually going to come out by proponents that already have a preconceived notion of what they want the statement to say, and so whoever is doing that uh, statement is is probably going to build in that bias. Generally, my my feeling is that the the benefits that they talk about are going to be overstated. The costs are going to be understated. And so, while that's not to say that the real costs will exceed the benefits, it just might not be as flattering as any of these statements are going to say. So it's a matter of a little more careful analysis. To say that a new stadium or a new team is going to bring this much economic activity to whatever location they choose, that might be true. But they probably won't say in the, the statement that that's going to displace money that could have, would have, might have been spent elsewhere. Right. In Halifax, any citizen is going to probably have some set amount of disposable income, whether they realize it consciously or not. They know that they only have so much disposable money that they can devote to entertainment activities. Any uh, money that's going towards going to see a Halifax CFL team is going to be taken out of going to the movies, going to play golf, going to do something else with their time. So the, the true net benefit uh, might not be as great as what a statement's going to say. Yeah. So, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say that, you know, so there's there's always this aspect that they, they want to hype it up because they want to get people on side. I think that the fact that you have uh, a mayor that is not willing to put forward public money is actually a positive because uh, he's taking then maybe a little more nuanced or balanced position, which is, yeah, it's great if you want to bring a CFL team here, and I think it would be great for the city, but I'm really not prepared to take the taxpayer money and put it up against it. So give me a compelling argument for what this brings, and then we'll talk. Well, Professor Norander, um, I'm, I hate to break the news to you, but I don't believe the mayor. <laughs> I, I think we're being set up for huge uh, public expenditure. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I want to at least be... Uh, fair and call me idealist or whatever, but I'll, I'll be fair enough to at least give them that as an opening statement, that was the correct opening uh, statement. Okay. And, and you and I seem to be in agreement that, you know, I, I feel like if, if some group of investors out there wants to start any kind of business, no matter what it is, football team or anything else, hey, good luck. You know, it's your money, yeah. you know, have at it. Um, but invariably, there will be some sort of public component of, of financing, even if it's just for infrastructure stuff related to a stadium uh, and not the stadium itself. And that's why it's important, then, that you pick a location where there's already economic development underway, because that's why I'm saying that those that infrastructure development was 
already happening. So even if it's an extra little bit of public money then to adapt the stadium into it, okay. But if you're talking about an entirely derelict site and we're just going to plunk a stadium here and then try and hook it up to the rest of the Halifax Dartmouth, no. Uh, that That's just money down the drain that's, that's never going to be recouped. So uh, I, I, I would concede to you that probably the end result is that while the mayor says today no money, you're right. In the end, there probably will be some. I, I would be much more nervous if the mayor were coming out now and saying, we'll do whatever it takes. That's essentially a blank check that yeah. uh, is a recipe for disaster. If, if I know it's difficult for you to do this, but would you put a, a, a dollar amount in terms of a limit of what that public expenditure should be? Honestly, uh, well, so short answer, no. Yeah. The, the the long answer, <laughs> the long answer is, you know, it, it's really what are the taxpayers prepared to put up? Uh, you know that that requires kind of an open consultation with the the taxpayers of Halifax and saying that this is what a team could bring and it's being realistic. And going back to earlier comment about these economic impact studies, they'll often put down a very precise figure as if they have some sort of model that can tell exactly how much money this is going to generate. And the fact is that it's not going to generate a particular amount with certainty. It could generate a huge range. So uh, lay it out in front of people and say, look, if things really go well, it could generate this much money for the city. And if things really go badly, it would only generate this much. And to achieve this range of possible outcomes, we're asking every citizen to put up $5, $10, $100, whatever, uh, and put this in front of people and, and see what people are prepared to do. If people say that, you know, uh, having a CFL team brings some level of status to Halifax as a kind of top-table Canadian city, uh, city, then maybe it's worth the money. And if it's not worth it to the taxpayer, then I don't think any amount of public infrastructure is going to be justifiable. Let's leave it there. I, I, I'd like to call you back once we get a, um, a, a specific proposal on the table and see what you think of it. Absolutely. This issue is not going anywhere for the next couple of years, so I'm happy to come back anytime you want. Yeah, you've been very kind with your time. I, uh, it's been good talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Moshe Lander, who is a professor of economics at Concordia University, who specializes in the economics of professional sports. Uh, you're listening to Examiner Radio, and we'll return right after this. that's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast produced by the Halifax Examiner. As always, this episode is tech by Mark Pinio. Say hi, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Good, good to see you again. Thank you. I'm Tim Bousquet. And I'm Tara Tyer. As always, we'd love to know what you think. Send an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. And a quick reminder, Examiner Radio airs on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax every Friday at 4.30 p.m., or you can listen online at www.ckdu.ca. 
Of course, the longer podcast version is available on Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, and everywhere else you find podcasts. Uh, Please subscribe so you automatically receive a new episode every week. And please subscribe to the Health X Examiner. Easy peasy. Easy peasy.